Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I am so excited to introduce to you today, Renee Marie Stefano, who is the CEO and co-founder of Global Healthcare Resources. She is involved in so many incredibly innovative and exciting projects around health and wellness and how to integrate them into the workplace and our lives. So I'm very excited to hear more about her work and share it with you today. Welcome, Renee Marie. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So can you tell the digital selfers a little bit about your work beyond what I just introduced? Because obviously there's far more to it and, and a lot of depth. Sure. So I am co-founder of uh, Global Healthcare Resources, which is our solutions firm. We're very focused on everything from inception of a concept or idea developing sustainable strategies for it, focusing on how to go about tremendous growth in various new verticals and markets and market penetration strategies. So in in that regard, we cover a lot of areas, corporate health and wellness, um, voluntary benefits, self-funding, medical travel, for example, genomics, uh, blockchain. And it's just a really exciting time to be at the intersection of uh, every aspect of health, well-being, and benefits. Absolutely. And I think from what I've seen from following your work and your organization's work, their understanding of how to actually deliver a lot of these products and services, as well as looking at some of the innovative solutions themselves, has really been at the forefront of helping us move forward into sort of future-proofing our organizations. Is there anything that really stands out for you that's been either a big challenge in that process or been something that's been a great accomplishment that you're excited about? Well, I think the biggest area of growth we've seen is technology. Um, At the same time, we've also seen very slow implementation of technology and the ability to really gather data as to what works or what doesn't work. Um, So, you know, the challenge I think is, is, you know, creating an environment for employees or, or patient consumers of health and wellness services to be able to access the information they need in a very user-friendly fashion, and then have that information be um, customized, optimized, and personalized for them in a way that keeps them very much engaged. So I think what we've seen in um, across all of these industries is really the need to collaborate more on how to utilize technology and to have these technology solutions better integrated. So you're starting to see some of this um, in the corporate wellness space, for example, where you have a tremendous number of platform companies that are consolidating products and services of wellness providers and making those available to employers and employees and um, implementing tools that help them get greater levels of engagement. Yet at the same time, getting the adoption seems to be a big struggle. Um, Historically, employers are used to being recommended one or two solutions. Now we're talking about the challenge of selecting 20, 30, sometimes 40 different solutions to embed within a platform and make available to your employees. 
And you want to try to get them to be fully engaged in using them. You want them to be um, advantageous and, and you want to see data driven results. You want to see that they're effective and you want to see that they're reducing um, healthcare costs. Um, and at the same time, you know, it just becomes very confusing. So there's a lot of white noise. And I think if, if you look at other industries like medical tourism, for instance, or even genomics, um, there are some challenges in bringing forward thinking companies and experts together to create new integrated ways for them to innovate together. And, and when you're talking about something like global healthcare, trying to provide solutions that are culturally appropriate, you know, across nations all over the world even becomes a greater challenge. And having those technologies speak to each other and, and be connected, I think is, is, is huge. Um, so similar to what we're seeing in the corporate wellness space, um, there is a development of healthcare and wellness services that are being offered to patients from around the world. So technology is kind of the missing link um, to connecting patients with providers and creating a streamlined patient experience that's con con, um, consistent, regardless of where the patient's coming from or where they're going to. Um, so there's a lot of synergies in the industry, and, and they all rest on creating good technology and, and having them um, integrated and interrelated in a way that we can extract good data and continue to improve over time. Do you find that there's a, a lot of conversation? I mean, we all know that sort of privacy and security and HIPAA and all of these different things are, are really big issues, not just for organizations that are providing healthcare for their employees, but also for just the healthcare systems in general. Do you find that there is enough conversation around the ethics of use of data in terms of these solution providers that are, you're saying there's a lot of different solution providers What's happening with that data? And is there conversations about how much data do you need to collect and when is, when is it ethically right to collect data and when is it not? Well, I think you've touched on a really good point. Um, and, and the medical tourism industry that, you know, it's, it's experiencing a, a huge revolution um, as healthcare, you know, becomes more patient centric. Um, but if you think about you know, just uploading medical records and electronic medical records, the potential privacy violations and concerns about use of that data are huge. Um, so I think one example of um, advanced technology that, you know, we see as a game changer in medical tourism, but also in healthcare is blockchain technology. Um, because even though it's a novel concept, it's one of the catalysts of um, an evolving way or paradigm shift in, in healthcare delivery. So there's a lot of stakeholders that are investing in innovative technology that basically it's, it's a decentralized ledger um, and it provides uh, records and transactions that are stored in a blockchain system. And the blocks of data are uh, connected to previous records in the system to form this blockchain, right? Um, and so it allows data to be stored. But then the question is, do we keep medical records on the blockchain? If we're, if we're holding all the financial transactions in blockchain and we're having smart contracts in blockchain, what do we do about the medical data? So there's still a lot of questions as we find new solutions to really, I think, streamline the ability of, of parties to contract the um, ability to promote better patient experience um, for medical travelers or for healthcare um, consumers. 
we still have this issue of protecting privacy and use of data. So, you know, there tends to be this confidence in, in as long as the technology is HIPAA or, or GDPR compliant, safe harbor compliant, then that's enough. Um, I think we're going to see that this issue of, of what we do with the data you know, once it is in a blockchain environment, for example, how that's utilized, it's going to become extremely important. And I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how the healthcare system is quite rigged for big companies, big stakeholders, that they're all willing to pay for eyeballs, you know, to get eyeballs on that data. In fact, there are some genomics companies, for instance, that their business model isn't even on distributing tests to everyone so that they get the information, like a pharmacogenomics test, they can find out what is the best um, drugs for their particular condition. Um, But other types of um, testing like cancer genomics, et cetera, where does that data go? The reality is some of these companies, their business model is not on just providing the test. Their business model is more prominently used in selling the data. And I think that's where we have, you know, cause for concern and where technology is going to become really, really important in protecting it. Do you get a sense that there's more of a call for accountability and ways to create more transparency with these companies? Or do you think that people feel sort of helpless in that? Well, I think there is a call for accountability. Um, As the mobility of healthcare becomes more prominent, there's a need for a greater level of interoperability operability of the healthcare systems. Um, You know, and and think about this, you know, a lack of access to patients' health records can significantly slow down the care process. Uh, It can lead to mishaps. It can ruin the reputation of a hospital. You know, looking at patients' health data, it needs to be very accessible. So everybody needs to be accountable for how it's handled. Everybody needs to take responsibility for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it seems like, you know, those are a lot of really great conversations that I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more of. And you've got an event coming up that uh, I'll be there speaking at. And I know there's a lot of great things happening there. Are there some key conversations that you want to point out to let people know that these conversations are taking place at your upcoming event? Yes. I mean, the theme of this year's Healthcare Revolution Conference is transforming the business of health. Uh, So previously, we had two events that have now been merged into one, Employer Healthcare and Benefits Congress and the World Medical Tourism and Global Healthcare Congress. So we bring in uh, C-suite top professionals and even government leaders from around the world that are really focused on what is new and innovative in their respective industries. So it seemed to make a whole lot of sense at this, I think, pivotal point in time where technology, data protection, privacy protection is really, really important and on the tips of everyone's tongue to really say, how do we need to transform the business of health? We're very well aware of the art and the science of health, and there's lots of events that talk about that, but we are really focused on looking at some of the most disruptive companies um, to share all of the concerns uh, in the healthcare debate. Um, So we're covering things like the business of genomics, the future of specialty drugs, uh, mental and behavioral health, healthcare blockchain, um, direct contracting, medical travel, and other types of innovations with Big companies like uh, Pepsi, Aetna, Cigna, uh, American Airlines, GE, um, consulting groups like Marsh and McLennan, Willis Towers Watson, Mercer and Lockton, but also, you know, governments that are really focused on 
um, building out healthcare capacity, and they're doing so with partnerships all over the world. So, for instance, the government of the United Arab Emirates, um, Ministry of Health of Bahrain, uh, India, Brazil, and 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 I think that this provides a very unique perspective on the future of healthcare because you're bringing these leaders from all over, each with a similar concern. Their healthcare system is struggling. Um, they're really having a difficult time bringing costs down. They're challenged with um, portability of insurance and building, whether it's national or, or privatized privatized health insurance programs. Um, they're challenged to fund them and they're challenged to build more robust programs. And corporate wellness in other parts of the world is just on the, the cusp of becoming prominent with a lot of companies. So I think we're going to see, you know, there's truly this evolution, but like a revolutionary movement in how fast um, we're going to move now as, you know, technology makes that very, very easy for us to do. I'm so excited that, that that's really happening. And when I went to your last event, it was really exciting for me to see. I wasn't as familiar with how big medical tourism has become and how vital it is for for people to be able to get the resources that they really need in order to be treated for whatever it is. I mean, I had experienced it personally myself, not in a formal capacity, but my husband's Swedish. And when he had to get surgery on his eyes, we found that it was he was going to get better care and less expensive if he did the the surgery and the procedure back in Sweden. So we, we did a little bit of that ourselves back and forth. But it's amazing to see how it's gone to scale. Absolutely. And domestically as well as internationally. So when I mentioned domestic medical travel and direct contracting, I mean, that is really prevalent. So you have Walmart, Pepsi, JetBlue, very large companies that have direct contracted with um, healthcare providers here in the U.S. under the concept of a center of excellence model. So they're looking for the best outcomes. They're looking for the right diagnosis the first time around. Um, and they're looking for low risk of complications, so the employees return to work quicker. And this phenomenon is, it's basically value in healthcare. Where can we get the best quality? Where can we have the best experience? And um, how can I get back to work quicker? Is um, it, It's now something I think that's very well known in the self-funded space. And about 85% of the companies um, you know, in the United States are self-funded and they're looking for that same value proposition, some cost containment strategies. And um, on the international side, there's probably a, a, about uh, you know, 50 to 60 countries that have some sort of dedicated program for medical tourism or medical travel, meaning they believe that they have some sort of competitive advantage to attract patients or they're highly involved in referring their patients out to other destinations like within Europe or the United States. And this exchange of health services is creating tremendous economic impact. It's not just the cost of the services, but oftentimes you know, patients are spending, patients and their families are spending five times the amount in the local economy. Um, and they're staying for extended periods of time for more complex procedures. So a lot of governments and tourism boards and economic development bodies are looking at this as a um, 
uh, a tourism diversification strategy. So it's that aspect of it, I think, is really disruptive because, you know, there's a lot of different things that can impact typical tourism trends. And this is a way to um, sometimes fill uh, off-season uh, room nights and, and uh, you know, typical tourism that's happening in a particular region that has high quality of healthcare services. And then I think most importantly, what we're seeing is just physicians really interacting like never before and the commitment to patient experience, because this is all done through word of mouth and um, digital marketing. And, you know, the patient experience is up second to quality, but it is so important in the decision-making process of a patient because, you know, they've got to travel someplace else for healthcare. If they're going to get on a plane, they have to have confidence and, you know, there's special considerations that need to be made. So the entire patient care continuum needs to be considered. Um, At the end of the day, we are seeing so many more players in the space. The majority of the um, top well-known brands in healthcare have contracts for direct contracting and domestic medical tourism and um, international inbound patient programs and global health centers. Um, But we're also seeing a lot of uh, community hospitals saying, hey, we've got top doctors here. They're really putting out um, outcomes that are tremendous. They're pioneering areas of medical expertise. Why can't people come here? And I think from the consumer's perspective, it is so important for them to have that choice and to have the right information um, that they need to make that choice. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I really appreciate the work that your team has been doing in really helping sort of consolidate that information and make it more accessible so that people are aware of what's happening in that space. I think there's some really interesting things that both as individuals who are doing this health pay, but also organizations are doing. I'm kind of curious, partially because myself as, a, as an entrepreneur and uh, always been an independent contractor, but I know that that whole field of you know subject matter experts that are working independently that are no longer on a corporate health plan or that are you know doing it independently, a lot of them are seeking uh, solutions that are medical tourism-based or direct pay is that something that you include in the conversation? And is that, has that become something that is uh, more of a concern or a uh, an option for organizations these days? Well, I think uh, what you're referring to is bundled pricing. So it's, you know, a patient will not get on a plane to go somewhere unless they know what is the bottom line of what they're going to pay for that health service. So for a healthcare provider to bundle their packages or bundle their services together um, and offer a fixed price to a cash paying patient or even an employer, an employer would be looking for, um, say, cost reduction for higher volume of patients. Um, For instance, they have a, a lot of patients or employees that are utilizing orthopedics, for example. So they'll direct contract and say, well, we'll we'll offer um, a large percentage of our employees will end up coming to you. Can you offer a lower price? The only way for a healthcare provider to be able to do that and to sign that agreement would be to truly understand what it costs for them to deliver it, right? So if we can bundle our pricing, we're able to see what it costs to deliver. We should be able to then bring the pricing down because we know where our costs are. And then you can start doing things like group purchasing or looking at specific types of line item costs to go after um, to bring that down. So what is that doing? It's, it's, it's creating greater efficiency in healthcare costs. 
what else is out there doing that? What else is out there incentivizing healthcare providers to look at the true cost of delivering their services and saying, if I can bring this cost down, I now have a competitive edge and I can get more business as a result of it. There's nothing else out there that is incentivizing it um, the way that direct contracting and medical tourism is. Um, so I see this as I, I, I see this as a fantastic um, uh you know, leveling of the plane where, you know, people, you know, are, are so used to the traditional forms of delivering health services and not even knowing um, what their true costs are and therefore keeping their prices up. This is a complete incentive to do otherwise. And it's been actually proven by quite a few healthcare providers that they have been able to bring their costs down and acquire new business just in going through the process of bundling their pay, um, their packages and, and for services because it becomes very transparent. Um, and then it's something that, you know, they have control over and they can actually leverage that and create a competitive edge and attract patients who are saying, I, I've got transparent pricing, I've got transparency and quality, and um, you know what's being proposed to me is an awesome patient experience I'm going to have at this facility, and I'm willing to go. It's so key to have that transparency and to have the ability to bundle, as you were saying, and I think that's really powerful. I'm, I am curious, though, as, as uh, non-subscribers to a larger corporate plan, does that mean that you no longer have access to bundled prices, you're going to end up paying the other price. Or uh, I mean, I see that a lot in the community that I work in, where most people are still, you know, they're paying for a catastrophic plan, and then just paying being cash pay. Where does that leave them other than, you know, they have access to information on where to get products and services, or it's all referral based? Well, I don't think it eliminates that opportunity. I think it basically enhances the opportunity because now you've got, you know, pricing that's readily available. So people, whether they're paying by cash or even paying by insurance, they have a way of looking at what is the value of what they're getting. Um, I also think it allows them to take a look at if they have providers in network, um, they can compare providers on that same basis. Um, again, it's looking for value. Um, but for the, I think for the cash you know, the cash pay patient who's not accessing a primary health care plan, I think this is essential in their decision making process. If, if we look at how much debt is, um, you know, it, in, is incurred um, through medical bills, I, I really think it's a key component of their own management of expenses and also, de- you know, debt reduction. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I see that that problem continuing, and I'm happy to see, happy to hear that it sounds like there's solutions on the way. So I want to do a little bit of a swing here because what's important also to to talk about is, as we know, running organizations and being in leadership roles, uh, we have to take care of our own well being. Are there any things that you do personally or that you use for your team to ensure that? They are taking the best care of themselves. What kind of tools are they using, whether it's, you know, whether they are digital tools or whether they're instituting policies where, you know, they're trying to create better boundaries around technology? Uh, Is there anything particular that stands out for you that you use to in order to thrive as a leader? 
Well, um, personally, there's a lot of tools that I use, and I'm in a fortunate position to be able to have access to a lot of companies, and we publish corporate wellness magazines. So a lot of organizations are sending products and and apps and and service-type materials to us to review for the publication. Um, So I do get exposed to a wide variety of those things. What I have found um, that is, I think, most important for me is to really set, you know, paths towards, you know, my own purpose and passion and joy and to have that, I mean, to have that inextricably linked to my professional life as well. And I can tell you that I did it very poorly um, for 10 years. And, you know, I had a few scenarios where, you know, I just felt like I was burnout overworked and just unsatisfied. And so I can tell you that one of the things that is important um, as we work with uh, our own employees here, but also in my own professional life, is to really discover what my own purpose and passions are and every day try to engage in something that I'm passionate about. So whether it's work-related or whether it's in my personal life, dedicating a small amount of time each day to stop and just really focus on that. Because I think that's how we, you know, it's like your your soul signature, right? I mean, that's how we really discover it is by dedicating time to it. What is our purpose? And, um, you know, how do we get joy every day? It, it can be something very, very small, but it also needs to be aligned with, um, you know, ultimately what your soul signature is. The other things that I would recommend is, I mean, for me, it's, it's fitness. I'm also... Uh, organic eater. So we encourage that here at at our offices. And um, I also think disconnecting, disconnecting, and whether it's, you know, a couple of minutes each day, or a couple of hours each day, even at the workplace, just disconnecting, taking time for, you know, your own mindfulness, that I think is a key point. And um, finally, I would also say, that, you know, we are always connected. So all the apps that we use for our fitness and reminders and everything's measuring every aspect of your life and and incentivizing you to do other things. Um, In the end, it's okay to be connected as long as you spend time to truly be connected to people. That means, you know, you can have your cell phone on all day, but if you're distracted by it and you can't really connect with people, I think you're going to end up feeling very, very bankrupt. And, you know, I I think we can't allow our professional lives or our our digital tools to interfere with staying connected with people, truly being good listeners and and also, you know, sharing some part of yourself that, you know, that's inextricably linked to, you know, that soul signature or purpose that you're, you're looking to live. I love that expression, the soul signature. And I think what you're saying about it's okay to be connected as long as you're really connecting. And I think that's something that we, you know, finding that delicate balance is really important. And it really comes down to being present and being in the moment. Now, there's a there's been a lot of movement in the last couple of years, and I'm sure you've seen it very much in your work towards integrating mindfulness practices into the workplace. Is that something that you work with in your organization? I know there is a conversation about that, certainly within the conference and within uh, the community of corporate wellness, but is that something that you institute as well? 
Absolutely. Um, our team, they do it on their own time, but it's something that every day, you know, we send actually inspirational messages to the team every day. And we recommend that, you know, if it resonates with them, that that may be something that inspires them to just sit quiet, you know, quietly and, um, and think about it. But basically, one of the big, th- one of the big things that um, we're always saying is like, just breathe, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're breathing, you don't realize how often every day you're holding your breath. And when you're not taking deep breaths, you know, you're losing, you're losing an opportunity to pause, really, you know, you find yourself, you're talking a mile a minute, and you're not breathing, or you're moving around, or you're thinking really hard about something, and you're not breathing. And breathing leads to mindfulness, it leads to, you know, meditation, some people are really good at meditation, I'm not but I am good at being mindful. And that's just, you know, being aware of my surroundings, being aware of the the smell in the room, the sounds in the room, the temperature, being aware of my own breath, being aware of even if there's other people around, other people. But that brings us back to the present, like you were saying. And um, it's, it's so important because, you know, there's nothing we can do about the past. And we can think about the future, but if we spend too much time there, we're just not enjoying any minute in the present. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the breath piece is something that is so important, whether you're online or offline, just taking a moment to pause and just take it all in, you know, just breathe. Um, I, I think, you know, that's one of my favorite features on the Apple Watch. It saved me from sort of being in that caught up <laughs> in the moment several times where it's just, you know, and it feels your heart rate going and all of a sudden you feel the tap on your wrist saying, just breathe, you know, and it, it is like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> There's something very powerful about breath. And yeah. it doesn't take, you know, sitting in meditation for 20 minutes to just Feel your feet on the ground and and uh, the air that's moving around you. So thank you for that reminder. I think it's really, really important. Well, I'm so excited to learn more about what you're all doing and to hear from, there's a lot of great presenters that are going to be at your event. And I think it's going to be really important. I'm actually, for those of you listening, I'm going to be doing some podcasting from there. So hopefully we'll catch some really interesting interviews and viewpoints from people that are at the event. But I just wanted to share with you a little bit of Renee Marie and the work that she's doing and uh, a little bit about her passion, because I think it's making a really big difference in the world. So I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, Renee Marie. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, Heidi, really appreciate the opportunity to share that perspective and looking forward to seeing you at the conference. Yeah. So for those of you listening who are interested in learning more about her work and about her organization, you can find it on the show notes and uh, there'll be links to the event and everything there. So look forward to sharing that with you and maybe even seeing some of you out there. So just want to say thank you again, Renee Mary, for your time, for joining us today. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to share with the digital selfers out there today? Well, you know, we're doing some great things at Healthcare Revolution in terms of awards. So we're recognizing through the Wellbeing 100 Awards top employers, and they're going to be sharing a lot of the solutions that really resonate with their employees. So if um, you know of any employers or anyone doing things truly innovative in, in health and wellness and benefits, they could apply for the Innovation Awards or the Wellbeing 100 Awards, and uh, it'll be a great opportunity to recognize those important people. 
Wonderful. Well, great, great cue for that. And we'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes for that as well, if you're interested, or you know, someone that might qualify. Because as we know, getting recognition for the hard work that you do and following your passion is important as well. So thank you again for joining us today. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please make sure you take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And if you really liked it, please take a moment to share and rate and review because it helps us get the word out and grow our show so that more people can hear about the things that are happening today in digital well-being. So thank you again, and we look forward to next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for The Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self-spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self-Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.